Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A 70-year-old grandfather and retired firefighter spends the day puttering around the house. Everything was very normal. You would kind of expect my papa to just be outside around the corner. When he suddenly vanishes, his loved ones are thrown into a panic. You're not really thinking you're never going to see him again. He's gone. Everything felt wrong. Going on with normal life felt very, very wrong. A bloody crime scene that at first glance seems clear cut. My thoughts were that somebody had hit him in the head and had, had taken him. But as mysteries mount, his loved ones raise questions close to home. If you tell me a lie, I'll be suspicious of everything that comes out of your mouth. Leaving a divided family reeling. This has been our entire life, every thought. You know, you can't go to bed without thinking about him. We all want to know what happened to Dad. Dad and Becca always seem to enjoy one another's company. They're affectionate and funny, and it was just, I thought, a perfect marriage. After being together for 37 years, Michael knows the key to keeping his wife happy. It's no secret that Dad spoiled Becca. He doted on her, from opening the doors to making the coffee to fixing the breakfast to making the dinner. He was very loving. Very loving. Mike was too good of a husband, and I would tell him that. I wouldn't tell him that because he's making me look bad. I would tell him that because he would treat his wife like a queen. Known lovingly as Papa, Michael is the patriarch of a large blended family. My sister and I were from dad's first marriage. After that marriage ended, he married Becca. And they adopted John when he was one day old. And then four years later, they adopted Justin. 
to his four children, nine grandchildren, and six great-grandkids, Michael sets the bar high as a family man. Dad would throw you up in the air. You never doubted he was going to catch you. Mike was the kind of guy that cared about his daughters, his grandkids. Both of his sons would do anything for them, would give up anything for them. Papa, he was there for any event that you called him to. All the birthdays, all the graduations, everything to support you, so proud of you. He's always there no matter what I need him for. At family events, Dad would cook the meal. He would hold the babies. He'd be the center of attention with the kiddos. Just the epitome of a good grandfather. Michael was a Dallas firefighter for 36 years, and his decades of public service have left him well-respected in the community. He loved being a firefighter. He was proud of being a firefighter. Had a lot of stories. When I was a child, I remember seeing Dad's picture in the paper where he had delivered a baby up on the overpass of a highway in Dallas. Since retiring from the Dallas Fire Department in 2008, Michael has more time for another passion. My grandfather loves classic cars. He loves working on them. A lot of the time he works on them with my dad. They go to car shows. All of their friends are car buddies. Michael belongs to a classic car club in Quinlan, known as the Texas Most Wanted. They meet at least once a week to show off their newest restorations. Michael and his son-in-law, David, spent a year restoring a classic 1970 Plymouth satellite. I mean, we just enjoyed spending time with each other. It was almost like a partially a father-son relationship, but then it was also a good friend relationship. Besides family and cars, Michael's heart belongs to God. Growing up, Dad was a deacon in the church. Church was important to him. He was a believer. Hunt County Sheriff Randy Meeks is a fellow congregant with Michael and a friend. I was a Sunday school teacher at First Baptist Church, and Michael and his wife, Becca, were in my Sunday school class. We all had a good time learning the Word of God. Michael expresses his faith by singing in a gospel band called the Joint Heirs Quartet. They would sing a lot at nursing homes. They'd sing in churches. He loved it. On that Friday morning in March, Michael says goodbye to his wife as she leaves for work and gets ready for his day. That day, it looked like he was just kind of piddling on the old cars. And he had talked about going back in the back of the property and cutting some firewood. Michael is also looking forward to spending time with his family the following day. Dad was planning to go to his grandson's soccer game the next day. That evening at 5.50 p.m., Michael's wife, Becca Chambers, is just leaving her job as a home health aide. She texts Michael to let him know she'll see him shortly, but he never responds. 20 minutes later, Becca arrives home and sees that Michael's truck is in the driveway, but the house is dark. He didn't open the garage door for her, which he usually would. He didn't come out and carry in her bag, which he usually would. She couldn't find him when she called out for him. Becca calls Michael's cell phone, but it goes straight to voicemail. The situation feels very out of the ordinary, so she reaches out to family members. 
Becca called to say, do you know where your dad is? She sounded anxious about it. You don't expect someone to actually be missing. Maybe he's helping a friend, maybe somebody needed something. He's really predictable. You almost always know where he's at, and if you don't, you can check two other places and he's at one of them. So to hear that nobody knew where he was was just unsettling. Becca remembers that earlier in the day, Michael had mentioned going to the back of the property to cut some firewood. So she was thinking, well, maybe he's out, you know, somewhere on the land doing that. Dad's home sits on 10 acres. It's pretty heavily wooded. Becca recruits her neighbors, Barry and Sandra Paris, who are also part of the extended family, to help her look for Michael. Well, I don't think they went very far back there, but they did check around their house, and nobody could find him. Next, they check Michael's garage, where he works on his classic cars. She says she went to the shop. The shop was locked. So she got the keys. And he wasn't in there. The three family members start to become concerned. Some items on the counter tell Becca that Michael had been in his shop that day, perhaps very recently. She noticed that his wallet, his cap, his keys were there. Everything was very normal. You would kind of expect my papa to just be outside around the corner. Then, Becca looks deeper in the garage, and in an instant, her worry about her husband escalates. There was blood on the floor. Becca's neighbor and family member, Barry Paris, is the retired chief of police in the neighboring city of Greenville, and he has a bad feeling about the scene. At 6.55 p.m., he dials 911. Barry was alarmed by the blood. He's an experienced law enforcement officer, and I think that gave him quite concern. Within the hour, a Hunt County Sheriff's deputy arrives at the scene. We have a lot of drug problems, uh, mainly methamphetamines. Uh, of course, that leads up to thefts and all kinds of other crimes uh, because of the use of methamphetamines. The deputy looks for any signs that Michael could have been the victim of a robbery. His wallet was there, but his driver's license was missing out of the wallet. That was very odd to us, uh, that only his driver's license would be missing. There's also no cash in Michael's wallet. Nothing else in the shop appears to be disturbed. Dad had valuable things in the shop, things much more valuable than a little bit of cash that he would have had in his wallet. There were tools like crazy, one of the easiest things to pawn that there is. Michael also kept a 12-gauge shotgun in his garage. The shotgun had not been touched, moved, or fired at all. When the sheriff's deputy looks in Michael's truck parked outside the shop, he finds a considerable amount of cash in the console, around $1,000. Sheriff Randy Meeks arrives on the scene and comes to the same conclusion as his deputy. It did not appear like a robbery to me. And other than the blood on the floor, there's no sign of a struggle. I've been on several crime scenes and where there's a quite a bit amount of blood, and this was a real minimum amount of blood. It didn't look like there was enough blood 
for anything fatal, certainly. Did he cut his hand? Did he have no sleep? Law enforcement at first thought maybe he hit himself in the head and is disoriented somewhere. But then, police notice something that quickly changes their theory. There was a dowel rod that looked like it had bloody prints on it. The wooden stick appears to have been used as a weapon. For Sheriff Meeks, the scene is quickly adding up to foul play. My thoughts were that somebody had hit him in the head with the, the dowel rod and had taken him. But who would have wanted to harm Michael? I cannot see him having any enemies. As police secure the evidence from the garage for testing, deputies fan out across the chamber's 10-acre property on foot. The Sheriff's Department requests that all available resources be deployed in the search for Michael. We had called the Department of Public Safety. They have a flare unit on their helicopter. It detects heat, so if there was somebody there, it would detect them. Sheriff Meeks pings Michael's cell phone and learns that the phone is turned off or dead. The last tower communication occurred at 5.50 p.m. The results were given around West Tawakonee, around the Lake Tawakonee area. Lake Tawakonee is a 20-minute drive southwest of the current search efforts. Deputies and the helicopter with the infrared unit shift to that location as family members arrive at the Chambers house. By the time I got there, there were many, many police vehicles. There were people everywhere. It felt surreal. You're not really thinking you're never gonna see him again. You're really thinking we're gonna find him and we're gonna know what's happened or what's wrong, but you're not really thinking he's gone. By midnight, the massive search has turned up nothing. When we went to bed that night and we still hadn't found him, there was just an uneasy emptiness. You didn't feel right going to sleep because you didn't know if he had a place to sleep. Everything felt wrong. Going on with normal life felt very, very wrong. The next morning, investigators start to piece together a timeline of Michael's last known movements. His wife, Becca, tells them everything she knows about her husband's plans, including some new information. Becca said that she had asked Dad to grab her some mascara from Walmart. The items were in the house. They were uh, where you would expect them to be, and it appeared that he had just brought them back as normal. Walmart was able to show us uh, the tape where he made the purchase. Security video shows Michael in his signature Dallas Fire Department t-shirt and hat, paying for items at 11 a.m. He looked completely normal. He didn't look anxious. He wasn't walking quickly. He just looked like Dad on any other day. And then we also have the footage of him getting in his pickup truck and leaving the Walmart in Quinlan, headed back in the direction to his home. We looked for somebody maybe following him. When he left the parking lot, didn't see anybody at all. Investigators already know Michael made it home from the Walmart. 
but they wonder if he stopped anywhere else along the way. We checked with all the different stores on his route that maybe had video cameras towards the road. Nothing showed up on those at all. We canvassed the neighborhood. Nobody else saw him. Hunt County calls in a team of bloodhounds to search Michael's property. They started his workshop and quickly pick up on Michael's scent. We noticed they kept going to one area by the road, one area, constantly. Right on the corner of his property, there's a drainage ditch there, a big culvert big enough for a man to walk underneath that culvert or somebody to carry somebody underneath there so that they don't have to cross the road and nobody sees them. And it leads straight to a large pond. So naturally we're thinking, okay, somebody was here with Mike. Mike was a very friendly guy. Mike would have his garage doors open. People would stop by and see his cars in there and just stop by and talk to him, and Mike would talk to him. I called in our game warden, and they came and drugged that area of water and also used a sonar system to uh, check and see if there was a body in there, and none was found. As word of Michael's disappearance spreads throughout the community, the already considerable search effort ramps up. A lot of his friends from the fire department wanted to come and help. Uh, we also had a professional team of searchers. We probably had between 100 and 150 people searching the areas. Two separate dive teams search Lake Tawakini, where Michael's cell phone last pinged. It's a little difficult to search, but we feel like he's not in Lake Tawakini. We've ruled that out. For Sheriff Randy Meeks, finding Michael Chambers is a very personal undertaking. Three days after Michael goes missing, the sheriff delivers a heartfelt plea for the public's help. I, I've never known a more devout Christian man than Michael Chambers. Uh, I trust him with my life. I am really torn because we don't have any answers and it's just tearing us apart. The sheriff isn't the only one struggling with the mystery. Michael's grandchildren miss their papa terribly and hold out hope that he is still alive. I called my grandfather's cell phone so many times. I knew that he always answered my call, and I felt like one of them he would eventually pick up. Six days after Michael's disappearance, his family offers a $25,000 reward for any information that leads to finding him. To gather the tips, they set up a Facebook page called Bring Papa Home. But as the family searches for answers, some raise suspicions close to home. They were quite concerned about Justin. Uh, matter of fact, they said we needed to look at Justin. 31-year-old Justin Chambers, the youngest of Michael's children, lives two hours away in Granbury, Texas. There had been some some rift between him and Michael, and also between him and the rest of the family. And they felt like Justin might have had something to do with Michael's disappearance at, the, at that time. One week after his mysterious disappearance, some members of Michael Chambers' family begin to raise questions about 31-year-old Justin, the youngest of Michael's four children. My brother Justin had been in and out of foster care as a young 
child. My dad and Becca adopted him out of that system when he was four. Over time, family members say the relationship between father and son had become strained. Every time Justin would call, it would always have to do with money and try to guilt Mike into, well, if I don't get this, I'm gonna be kicked out of my place. So Mike would give in. And this went on for years. But Michael's son-in-law, David, says that recently, his father-in-law had reached his breaking point. Within the past six months before Mike's disappearance, Mike had totally quit. He said, I'm done with this. It's time for him to take care of himself. Some in the family say that Justin didn't take well to his father's new attitude. And then from what I understood, he would call and get belligerent with Mike, make threats, make all kind of, I hate you, Dad, and things like that. Police interview Justin, and he tells them his issues with his father are more complex than just friction over money. But despite the tension between them, he says he would never hurt Michael. Justin also says there's no way he could have. He was at work all day on March 10th. We were able to verify his alibi that he was at work that Friday that Michael Chambers went missing. Later that same day, Sheriff Meeks hears from the lab processing the DNA evidence collected in Michael's garage. The results came back as the blood on the floor of the shop and the dowel rod belonged to Michael Chambers. The sheriff's office brings in a blood spatter expert to examine the crime scene. Something about the color and the pattern of blood droplets hasn't sat right with investigators from the beginning. If you are cut or you're hurt or you hit over the head and blood is dropping to the ground, it's gonna splatter. There's no splatter to it at all. It's perfectly round drops. It was too perfect, perfect circles. There's no movement to it. It's just like straight down drips. And what the expert concludes completely changes the direction of the case. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover. And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. The blood expert felt like that blood was staged to make it look like a possible kidnapping or an abduction of some kind. The expert also says the bright red color of the blood could indicate the presence of an anticoagulant. Like when they take blood from you at the doctor's office the hospital, there's anticoagulant in there so that the blood won't clot. The expert speculates that the blood had been preserved in a vial and then intentionally spattered to simulate a crime scene. That has been a puzzle to me, who who would stage a crime scene. The murderer would want to clean up a crime scene. It's a mystery to Michael's loved ones, too. But soon, the unexpected behavior of another family member begins to give some of them more cause for concern. On March 20th, 10 days after Michael disappeared, his wife, Becca, makes a change to her cell phone service. The cell phone plan had Becca, my dad, and my younger brother, Justin, on that plan. And Becca took Justin's phone off of that plan and suspended dad's service at that time. It was a short amount of time, and that raised a lot of controversy. Last thing I would want to do is cancel phone service because the phone could really be the thing that gives us the evidence we need as to where he is. The finances were a concern. She hadn't had to handle these things herself and was apprehensive about what she was going to do. People act differently in situations. You're going to act different, I'm going to act different to the same situation. So I could understand that. The financial reasons made sense to me that uh, she would, would try to save as much money as she could. 
But just four weeks later, in April, Michael's wife makes another decision that upsets some family members. Michael's truck was just in his name and not her name. And she was wanting to sell it uh, because she was having to keep up the payments on it and couldn't afford it. In order to sell the truck, Becca says she has to obtain a temporary death certificate from Michael. This is five weeks after Dad had disappeared. I was very much against it, very much against it. I just couldn't see declaring Dad dead five weeks after he was missing. According to Susie, Becca says it's just a formality that would give her the right to sell Michael's property as needed for income. Everything in me thought that was the wrong way to go, but it wasn't my decision to make. Another month passes with no further developments in the case. Then, in May, a polygrapher from the Texas Department of Public Safety becomes available to aid Hunt County in their investigation. Police start to call in members of the Chamber's family for polygraph exams. We wanted to make sure there was no connection there uh, with his disappearance, the people that he was the closest to. The FBI also collaborates on the polygraph of Michael's son, Justin. He was very willing to take that. And as a matter of fact, we polygraphed him twice, and he passed both times. So we eliminated him as a suspect. One month later, Becca Chambers is also asked to submit to a polygraph, and she agrees. But police learn there's something in particular she doesn't appear to want to talk about that they believe could be relevant to the case. Becca was very hesitant to discuss that there could have been some possible extramarital affairs uh, while she was married to, to Michael. I was shocked. Three months after 70-year-old Michael Chambers went missing, Hunt County Sheriff's investigators polygraph his wife, Becca, who admits to having an extramarital affair. I didn't believe it at first. I was hurt and I was angry that Dad had been disrespected that way. Becca tells investigators that the relationship ended five months before Michael went missing. And she believes her husband knew about the infidelity, but she says he never directly confronted her about it. The revelation makes Michael's daughter Susie wonder if Becca could be hiding something else. Anytime someone is untruthful with me on one point, I wonder what else they're untruthful with me on. If you tell me a lie, I'll be suspicious of everything that comes out of your mouth. But Becca says she had nothing to do with her husband's disappearance. And investigators find that she's being truthful. Becca did pass the, the polygraph. Just because you had an affair, it doesn't mean you're a murderer. However, what opens doors to other people because of that affair. Police call Becca's alleged lover in for questioning. They say he admits to the affair, but has an alibi for the day Michael vanished. He had no participation in the disappearance of Michael Chambers. And there was nothing to it other than the affair. Detectives don't consider the man or Becca Chambers to be involved in Michael's disappearance. Then, on July 12th, Three months after Michael went missing, his daughter Susie is at work when she gets a startling Facebook message. 
on the Bring Peppa homepage, someone claimed to know where Dad's body was. He claimed to have gotten the information from a friend of his, and I said, have him call me. Within a few minutes, the tipster calls Susie and says that Michael Chambers was murdered, and more than one person is involved. He proceeded to tell me that Becca and another man had done this. He gave me the address of the property where the body was. Susie immediately calls Sheriff Meeks, who says he questions the credibility of Susie's source. When we found out who the tip was from, he is a convicted felon. There is a $25,000 reward for information leading to finding of Michael Chambers. He was interested in that $25,000 reward. Based on the results of Becca's polygraph, the sheriff discounts the tipster's alleged intel on Becca Chambers. But despite his lack of confidence in the information, the sheriff knows that every tip needs to be fully investigated. We still had to search the area just to make sure then we were unable to find anything at all. The next day, on July 13th, investigators become aware of more discord within the Chambers family. We got called to Becca's home. Justin had showed up. He was very angry about Becca cutting his phone off. Becca had said that she was afraid about Justin. I don't really know a good reason that she should have been, but that she was going to take out a protective order. That does seem odd to me, that all of a sudden they're at odds about her cutting off his cell phone service. But Susie says her brother Justin told her that the conflict with Becca wasn't about his cell phone service and that he had heard the same rumor that Becca was involved in their father's disappearance. And he did say, if I find out that you or someone close to you had anything to do with dad's disappearance, I will put you both in a pine box. Whatever the reason for the alleged threat, the sheriff files the order of protection to help keep Justin away from Becca. For Sheriff Randy Meeks, it's another strange development that sets this investigation apart. This case has just been one of the most oddest cases that I've ever worked. Two days later, on July 15th, Michael's daughter Susie says she gets surprising news concerning his estate. A family friend from the fire department calls to say that her father was recently declared dead. From what I understand, the sheriff's department has to sign off for that. So how do you sign off on someone that's just been missing? It seems very strange. What Susie had understood to be a temporary court order allowing Becca to sell Michael's truck is actually a permanent judgment. Michael Chambers was legally declared dead on May 26, 2017, just over two months after his disappearance. I felt horrified. It was such, such a sickening feeling. For now, Michael's $750,000 pension will issue monthly payments to Becca Chambers unless Michael turns up alive in the next three years. According to law enforcement, Becca's actions continue to be understandable 
as a means to financially survive the loss of her husband. With no real answers in the case, investigators begin to consider theories beyond foul play. What really led us to believe that there was not a murder taking place because of the stage blood. The shop was locked, the lights were turned down. There was no sign of a struggle anywhere. Police start to wonder if Michael Chambers could have staged the crime scene himself in order to walk away from his life. They question his family. And his son-in-law, David, says that months earlier, he had a strange conversation with Michael that now seems eerily relevant. We would watch some of these investigative shows on TV, and he says, a person could easily disappear and make it look like an accident, and nobody would ever find him. It'd be very easy to do. Those were the exact words. At the time, David didn't think it meant much. It never hit me like, hey, he's thinking about this. It was just, he's a fireman, he's seen so many things. It does seem strange that the exact thing, make it look like an accident and disappear and nobody would ever find you, which is exactly what we're going through. It was really quite shocking to me. I didn't want to believe it. I still don't want to, but I have to go by what our evidence shows us and what the truth is. But some in Michael's family say it's an unlikely theory. I can't unknow my dad. I can't unknow his character. It's not a path he would take. In October 2017, seven months after Michael vanished, the sheriff's office brings in a cell phone expert who uses new technology to learn more about Michael's exact route on the day he went missing. He was able to trace his every movement of that phone the day that Michael Chambers went missing. When the results of the forensic cell phone analysis come in, they appear to confirm something about Michael Chambers that nobody wants to believe. This is not an abduction, and this is not going to be a homicide. He left on his own. We received information that this phone expert would be able to tell us his route that day. By analyzing data from the phone's transmissions with nearby cell towers, the expert is able to reconstruct Michael's whereabouts far more accurately than by tracing pings. This phone expert was able to tell us that Michael left his house. That morning, he drove through Quinlan, Texas, drove to the Two Mile Bridge, which is the bridge over Lake Tawakening, went past the Two Mile Bridge and stopped for 10 or 15 minutes. Investigators look closer at the location where Michael stopped that morning and realize he has a history there. We discovered that when Becca and Michael had adopted John and Justin, that they lived about five or six miles from the Two Mile Bridge. The cell expert also tells investigators, later that day, around 2.30 p.m., Michael went back to the same location. And that's where the signal of the phone stopped. But no one in the family knows why Michael would have gone there that day. The cellular expert uses the location and time of pings to determine the speed that Michael was traveling. And that data leads to a revelation. He was only traveling at 4.2 miles an hour, 
and it took him about two, about three hours to get to the two-mile bridge. That's too fast to walk it and way too slow to be in an automobile or a motorcycle. Well, the only thing that we could figure out was a bicycle. And that's when they started, does your father have a bike? Well, yeah, they have them. Are they still there? Well, I don't know, I haven't looked. Sheriff Meeks returns to the Chambers residence to search for Michael's bicycle. We went back and checked the shop, and they both had a bicycle apiece, Becca and Michael, and one of the bicycles is missing. Based on the new cell phone evidence, the Sheriff's Department pieces together a fresh theory on what happened the day Michael vanished. They now believe he plotted an elaborate suicide, first staging a crime scene at his home, then going back to his old property past the two-mile bridge and taking his own life. But Michael's possible motive remains undisclosed. During our investigation, we discovered some things that had happened that we believe would uh, cause Michael Chambers to commit suicide. However, at this time, we're not at liberty to discuss this because this is still an ongoing investigation. Exactly 11 months after Michael's disappearance, on February 10, 2018, deputies coordinate another massive search. They now feel they know where to find Michael's body. We have our Search One team out of Dallas. We have our Criminal Investigation Division. We don't believe it will be good news if we do find something, but we do want to find something so we can put this to rest. We can get the family closure and we can solve this mystery of Michael Chambers' disappearance. Michael's family is on the scene for the search. You hope they don't find something, because if they find something, it's something bad. But you hope for answers as well. So do I feel that he's here? No, I don't. It, my gut says no, but I appreciate the effort to try. After 10 hours, investigators find nothing connected to Michael Chambers, leaving those involved deeply divided over what may have happened to him. The Hunt County Sheriff's Department and many in the Chambers family still believe the evidence indicates that Michael committed suicide. But others find that conclusion hard to accept. Me knowing Mike, I still don't see him doing that. The only reason would be if maybe he had done something he was shameful for, something like that. And he knew that something would hurt the family's name. And even then, I'm out of 100%, I'm only giving that 1%. That's just how much I'm giving it, 1%. Michael's daughter, Susie, wholeheartedly believes her father's disappearance is related to foul play, an opinion that separates her from most of the Chamber's family. Right now we're broken, not because anyone is wrong, not because anyone is right, but we just are processing it differently. Even though my brother and sister and I don't agree on what has happened, we all have the same goal. We all want to know what happened to Dad. But everyone in the family agrees on one thing. Michael's disappearance has taken a terrible toll on all of them. The whole situation has just 
It's caused a lot of pain. It's caused a lot of emotion. This has been our last 11 months. This has been our entire life, every thought. You know, you can't go to bed without thinking about him and wondering where he is. I just hope at the end of it all, when we have our answers and things are resolved, that we'll remember that Dad loved us all and would want us to all love one another. And we can just put it behind us and move forward in a way that would make him proud. If you have any information about Michael Chambers or his disappearance, please contact Hunt County Sheriff's Office at 903-453-6809. Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9 on ID and stream on Max.